Welcome to the Accessible South Africa Travel Podcast. This is a podcast where we discuss travel in South Africa and beyond for persons with disabilities and special needs with our host, Lois Strachan. Join us as we share inspiring stories of people who travel, exciting, accessible travel experiences, and showcase service providers who will accommodate those with special needs. And now, on with the show. Hi everyone and welcome to today's episode of the Accessible South Africa Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Lois Strachan. Today we're talking to massage therapist Elana Hermes about her experiences of navigating the world and of travel as a person who is both sight and hearing impaired. Then we're off to have some fun at Bugs Play Park in our service provider spotlight. Before we start the episode proper, a few words of thanks. First, to Andre Detoy for recording our new credits for us. And then, to my husband, Craig Strachan, who edited this particular episode. Thanks so much, gentlemen. We appreciate your help. And now, let's meet Ilan. Today we're talking to Elan Hermes, who is a lady who is both visually and hearing impaired. Welcome to the podcast, Elan. Thank you, Lois. It's great to have you with us. I'd like to start off by just asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your story. Okay. I'm born two months premature with congenital hydrocephalus, which is um, normally termed water on the brain. Um, that caused um, too much pressure on the optic nerves, nerves which affected my sight. I uh, lost my hearing um, just after I turned 21 and I was totally deaf for 10 months before I got my cochlear implant. When you say that you um, lost your sight, are you totally visually impaired, totally blind? My left eye is totally blind and my right eye, I can see shapes and movement, no detail. Okay. So what what was your life, how did your life change when you went from being visually impaired to being both visually and hearing impaired? I won't say it turned into isolation. I would say that communication became a big struggle for the non-disabled community because they don't know how to communicate with me. I could speak to them, but I couldn't communicate back to me. And were there things that you particularly missed when you lost your hearing? To easily communicate with people and music. I and- and the cochlear implants help to, to bridge that gap of communication? 100%, but there's still difficult situations in hearing environments. I'd love to learn a little bit more about how you accomplish some of the, the everyday tasks using the technology that's making a difference in your life. If you'd like to tell us a little bit about that. The cochlear implants work by bypassing the damaged inner ear and it sends the signal directly to the hearing nerve and that is how I hear. In the morning, 
I can't hear until I switch on my, I put on my cochlear implant sound processes and then my first thing that I do is I start to listen to music because that is how I start my day. I listen to a lot of radio because that keeps me also in touch with what is going on in our um, local town and other areas of the country and the world. So for me, the radio is very important. Um, and that is one of the many things that makes me very grateful to be able to hear the cochlear implant. We've also spoken on WhatsApp and on email. What technology are you using to access that type of um, technology? And how does that connect with your cochlear implant? I use my phone to access all those um, apps. And I use a wireless Bluetooth device to connect directly to my cochlear implant to send the voice over and other audio to my cochlear implants. In terms of your work, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your training in massage and the work that you're doing as a, as a massage therapist. I trained at the International School of Reflexology and Meridian Therapy in 1997. Um, I went um, to the lecture just before um, the course started to tell her what I needed in, in terms of accessibility. I um, then um, wrote my cited textbook from the text audio, from audio tape, which I got from tape aids from the brain. I transcribed it into Braille. So you used Braille as a as a, a your study yes. format of choice. Yes. Okay. And exams and things like that. Well, exams for the reflexology was a quite interesting because I wrote my exams um, at the time when I lost my hearing. Um, I um, read lips with my hands um, when my mom would um, translate the questions which the lecture asked in English, she translated it to Afrikaans and I then answered my questions back in English. That so is how I did my exam. Let me see if I understand this correctly. Your lecturer would verbally give the question in English. Yes. Your mother would then translate it into Afrikaans. Yes. In also verbally. Yes. And you would then communicate your answer back verbally in Afrikaans? Um, I would or in English? In English, sorry. yes. Wow, so that was quite a process. Yes. Were you allowed extra time for, for those um, exams? Well, um, I did it in normal time. They actually told me, sometimes I give such a lot of detail that they said it is enough detail for now. So um, they were quite happy with the answers that I gave. That's fantastic. That's I have full respect for, for all of that. I think one of the things that we learn as people with disabilities is we learn to be flexible. We learn to solve problems. And I'm certain that you've experienced that as you've gone through your life. Would you like to share some of the stories with us about that? Uh, well, um, it is quite interesting to adapt to environments. Um, for example, when it comes to the hearing in um, with the cochlear implants in groups and in bad acoustical environments, it's difficult to hear. 
So for that, I've got two wireless microphones which I use um, to be able to communicate with people in groups and also in noisy environments. And those microphones then feed through to your cochlear implants? Yes, they send the sound directly to the cochlear implants. Okay. How successfully do they work and what challenges are there associated with that? With the microphones? Yes. Um, well, if the um, people who I want to hear don't utilize the microphone correctly, if they hold it upside down, for example, um, then the sound doesn't reach my ears and then I realize, oops, they don't um, know how to use it. Then I have to first quickly show them again how to use the microphones. So it, it's very much a case of constant education of yes. the people around you. Yes. Ilana, could you tell us a little bit about how the cochlear implant impacts on your daily life? Without them, I hear nothing at all. Uh, before I received my first cochlear implant, that was 10 months of no sound at all. So it has a huge impact on my daily life. It has a huge impact on me um, in communicating with people, family and friends, and just in general um, navigation of my environment. The people around you, how did they... How did their lives change when you lost your hearing? Well, they had to adapt a touch communication, um, adapt into using touch communication methods. And um, also, when I started out with the cochlear implant, it actually took three months to start understanding speech. But then the software... Uh, that was used then didn't allow a lot of speech for me, so it took about a year or two um, until new software were available, and then, well, speech haven't stopped, speech understanding haven't stopped since. <laughs> so it was the first two years and 10 months was a difficult time. Um, it wasn't um, that I couldn't hear, but it's just that I couldn't understand much speech. But... As we always use humor in daily life, it continued that way. And it also continued the 10 months when we had to do fundraising for the cochlear implant. So as a family, humor is what carries us through. It's such an important skill for us to be able to see the lighter side of life. And I think that also does break down the barriers between other people who maybe aren't as aware of how to engage with us with our, our disabilities. How do you find that the people in, not necessarily in your immediate family, but people in your communities are able to engage with you, with your vision and hearing loss? Well, um, th that is a thing. My eyes look, everybody say my eyes look beautiful. And so they don't actually can see in the eyes that I'm visually impaired. Um, so they forget sometimes they would walk away, you know, and then I might talk to them still or I would think I'm talking to one person, but in actual fact that person is is not there and it's actually other person that I'm talking to. Sometimes for some of my clients will come 
and they would stand at the door and there would maybe stand two people on the, and the one would say, do you remember me? And then I don't know who they are because there's two people standing in front of the door. So the thing is, if there's a, there are a lot of people, it's difficult to know who is who. And um, that is actually my most frustrating um, being with the Kochli um, deaf and blind um, visually impaired um, is that with the cochlear implants if you don't hear the person's voice constantly you will not recognize their voice like when I had my normal natural hearing I could easily um, pick up the person's voice and I would easily know who is speaking I would be able to hear very faint sounds soft sounds and that is gone so um, it takes a lot of um, it's it's a lot of difficult to know who is speaking if there's a lot of people, um, and also um, if there's a group conversation and the conversation changes. Usually, with my normal hearing, I didn't have the problem when the conversation changed or if there were two groups, one talking about one conversation, the other talking about the other conversation. I could actually. Um, listen to both conversations at once and actually communicate to both communicate. I mean, it's like eavesdropping in a group of conversation, you know. <laughs> but with the cochlear implants, since I lost my hearing and the cochlear implants, that is gone. And that is actually what I miss. Just to go out. Now, if I go out and I sit there, sometimes people might think I'm a little bit rude because I just sit there. Or my mom sometimes say, Ilana, you've got like a not... Uh, uh, expression on your face um, that you might be irritating or something. Uh, you know, it is not that I'm irritating. It's it's irritated. It's just that I want to be part of the conversation and I can't follow the conversation. I think that's very true in a number of situations. I find certainly for myself being totally blind that if I'm in a large group of people who are talking, mm. it's sometimes hard to follow the conversation. If I'm in a yeah. place that's very noisy, yes. that masks the my ability to follow what's going on. Yes, And I'd imagine that that's probably even more so in your quest, being both blind and hearing impaired. Yes, um, because what happened is, is that um, with the cochlear implants, they actually have software in that adjust to the environment and um, they're not the brain so they adjust according to um, what pitch frequency the microphones pick up and then they decide to um, what program needs to be moved an example that I can use is when I listen to music that software think it's a noise so it suppresses the music sound um, and I mean that, that, that if, if something irritates me that's what irritates me if my music <laughs> is affected in any way um, so what I then ask my audiologist is to give me a program that is have got no comp compression compression any 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 fancy stuff in it it must be a clear program which brings all the noise all the sound in now that program is bad in every day um in in any 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 way other than music because it is then very noisy and loud 
So, yeah. It's, it's a really interesting thought process for me because in a sense what I do automatically with my, what my brain does automatically, you have a technological device that is a man-made device that is doing that digitally. Yes, and because I have experience of excellent hearing and now experiencing this cochlear implant and very, very... Um, happy and and appreciative of the cochlear implant and very blessed to be able to hear um i know how i heard before before mm. but i don't long it i don't mourn it but i know how i heard before and i know how um the software actually affects um how i handle certain noisy environments do you find that having that knowledge helps when you are working with your audiologist to refine the use of the cochlear implant? Yes. Um, she sometimes say to me, Ilona, don't go so much into detail. Or, Ilona, listen to the beeps. Don't, don't listen to the pitch. You must listen if the beeps are um, equal loudness. Don't. Because she realized that I was listening to the different pitches. Mm. And, um, well, I, my communication that I gave to her how to program it were according to pitch and not according to loudness. So that affected how speech then at the end of the day um, sounded. So um, I had to then separate, separate, separate my ability of knowing how pitch works to knowing what is needed for only speech understanding. Wow. That's quite a complicated process for something that we just don't even think about as people who hear with our ears and our brains. Yes, it is. Um, in, in the beginning, it was very difficult to know how to um, communicate how the beep sound or the loudness level balancing to the audiologist, to, um, I went um, counseled how the process will work in the programming or how the sound will um, sound, um, which is fine for me. Um, I realized I, uh, there's 22 beeps that you have to listen to and that gives speech. When I was first um, switched on, I was listening to all those beeps and I was like thinking by myself, how is this going to give speech? <laughs> I mean, 22 beeps, yeah. you listen to those beeps. Yeah. And wow. then when she switched on, I could hear sound, environmental sound. I mean, there was sound, but I didn't know what the sound was. What was that moment like for you? It was like, wow, I can hear. Was it confusing though? Um, it was because... You didn't know what the sounds was. I mean, the first environmental sounds when we moved outside of the building, I asked my mom, what's that noise? And it was actually a helicopter. I couldn't know if it was a helicopter. Mm. Um, nowadays, also, there's some sounds, for example, a grinder and another pitch sound. I can't distinguish if it's a grinder of an electrical electrician mm. machine or another pitch which is a household tool they sound the same pitch so i have to ask 
for people, what is those sounds? So the one, they would say, okay, it is a, um, a vacuum cleaner, that sound, and outside it is the, the grinding machine. So, because the pitch are very the same. Elana, I want to just go back to a point that you raised earlier about a time when you were using just one cochlear implant. Can you tell me a little bit about how you coped at that time? It was difficult when it comes to the directional hearing. Um, yet still at this point, it also also still a bit difficult with two cochlear implants, depending on the environment. But especially for one thing that I can now think of, where it was strange, was when I listened to stereo music with one cochlear implant, suddenly you would miss some of the music because it's in stereo format. But once I received my second cochlear implant, the first thing I did was to start listening to stereo music. And I mean, that effect that the stereo sound go from left to right, right through your head, like the first time that I um, listened to when I got this stereo cochlear implant experience was 99 red balloons. <laughs> and funnily enough, that was actually the last song I listened to before I lost my hearing. So that was the song that stuck in my mind that I want to experience when I get my second cochlear implant. And I mean, I can listen to that song and it will never bore me. It's a wonderful song, 99 Red Balloons by Nina. Yes. It's a song that my band used to play. It's an old song, eh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, wow. That must have been an extraordinary experience, having the ability to to listen to stereo music or um, stereo recordings and pick up the complete picture. Yes, because um, with some devices... That, for example, this microphone that I um, have um, showed you previously and w which are using groups, um, you can also plug into um, audio devices, but the left and right channel are merged together to give one signal. So you don't get the stereo effect, but with the other little Bluetooth transmitter I use for phone calls, um, that device have got a stereo um, transmitter in. So that is the device that I use to experience the music like I remember. Um, I enjoyed it prior to losing my hearing. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that story with us. Pleasure. Elana, thanks so much for explaining to us a little bit about how you engage with sound, communication and day-to-day -day living using technology. I'd like to turn a little bit towards the traveling that you've done. I know you said to me that you visited the America, the USA, and also that you visited the UK. How was that for you as someone traveling with a disability? Well, um, when at the time I traveled to America, it was a month before I received my cochlear implant and I really wanted to go. So um, with the factory, uh, where they manufactured a braille machine. And, well, in a way, we had our own uh, communication method. So um, I felt actually safe with them, so I travelled and we have our own communication method. 
And, um, well, the American guys that we worked with actually also, I showed them the communication method of writing cited letters in my palm of my hand. So sometimes I would get letters from my family and these Americans will write the letter for letter that um, letter that the family wrote um, to me in my hand. So the communication, you adapt automatically um People who are sighted can adapt if you allow them and show them how to communicate with you. Um, when I traveled to uh, the UK, I only had one cochlear implant. It was about a year, just over a year um, after I got my cochlear implant. So it was the, the speech understanding was a little bit not 100% yet. It was like, I can handle it. And um, I traveled... We arranged for assistance um, on the uh, for traveling to to the UK, and when I arrived there, the people um, knew how to assist me, mm-hmm. and my sister um, she also um, helped a lot, and I had a friend who stayed in Kingsland, and my sister stayed in Sutton, Surrey, so I wanted to go and visit my friend in Kingsland. And I just told my sister, just phone the train station and arrange assistance, um, both sides. And, well, they were accommodating. But what I find was um, I used my white cane. People see your white cane and they want to help you. Yes. And they then hear your accent and then they know you're from another country. So... To this day, I don't know the, who the people were meant to be my assistants because the people on the train actually assisted me. And when I reached Kingsland, I didn't know what the station is going to look like. If it is like London station where you have to put your tickets through mm. or if it's an open station like where the people can see who is on the train. So... I just went and I just told my friend, okay, just look out for me if you see me. And, well, it was an open station with no need for the ticket to, to, to put through. And my friend saw me and, well, again, I don't till this day know who my assistant was. <laughs> so it is, for, for me personally, is to arrange beforehand what needs to be done in your traveling so you have your assistance in place um, so that when you start to travel that you don't um, worry about who's now going to assist or help you. Absolutely right. I think in anything in, in lives, preparation, planning are so important. And when we're talking travel, which is more nerve-wracking for us as persons with disabilities, those are such important parts of the travel experience. I'd like to look in a little bit more detail at some of the experiences. Traveling on the aeroplane, how I know for me, I find a, an aeroplane a very noisy environment. It's a closed space with lots of people. And there's quite a lot of noise and, of course, the noise of the engines. How did that impact on your cochlear implant? Um, yeah, as I mentioned before, the, the compression software handles that noise actually quite well and bring out the speech sounds. Um, so it can be quite good in handling the speech um, with the cochlear implant 
in the presence of air, um, airplane noise. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also find beforehand to explain to the people how to communicate. And if I don't answer them to just tap me on my shoulder to say, okay, um, they are here, they want to communicate with me. I think that's also another very important point that you've raised there is the ability and the willingness to reach out and help other people who are there to explain what it is that we're needing. Each of us has different needs as persons with disabilities. Each of us are individuals. Our needs differ. So it's important that we're able to explain to people the specific need that will help us. Would you agree that that's the case? Yes, yes. And as I mentioned before, if we arrange everything beforehand, it is so much easier for us to to prepare and to embark on the traveling adventure um, to know that there's no worry about what can happen or might happen because we forgot to organize something. Yeah. I want to turn to... Another travel experience that um, we, we, we've spoken about outside of this, this conversation, and that is the aspect of camping. In an article that your mother wrote, she mentioned that you've always loved camping, but it's not something that you've been able to do since um, losing both your losing your hearing after your sight loss. Can you just tell us a little bit about why that is a challenge and, and, and what the barriers there are? You know, it is mostly um, the communication and also when um, the cochlear implants are off. So you always would need um, somebody to assist you at those times when the cochlear implants are off. So it's really the the, the connectedness and the, the assistance yes. for the times that the cochlear implants aren't working yes. for you. Yes. Okay. And do you think that that might be something that you'll be able to get back to doing? I think so, yes, in future. And you'd look forward to that. Mm-hmm. What advice would you have for a young person as you were when you lost your sight? You, uh, sorry, you were already blind at age 21 when you then lost your hearing. What advice would you have for someone who's facing either one of those challenges or both of those challenges? I I would say look inside yourself and find your purpose in life because each person is born with a purpose and your disability doesn't define your purpose in life. You might have to do adjustments to fulfill your purpose, but find your purpose first and follow your dreams. That's a lovely way to see see the world. Ilana, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you. A final note from me on the interview. You may have noticed that we had a special guest appearance by my guide dog, Fiji, who was with us during the interview. And now, on to the service provider spotlight. Today we're spotlighting Bugs Family Play Park, the biggest children's play park in the Western Cape. Bugs Play Park is situated in Cryfontaine, 
in the northern suburbs of Cape Town. There are tons of different activities for your children to enjoy, including two huge sandpits, castle, slides, swings, horse rides, a petting zoo, and many, many others to give your children hours of delight. There's also an extensive food court with several options if you or your children need a snack. Best of all, Bugs Play Park has accessible facilities. There's accessible parking, the outdoor area and restrooms are accessible, as is the food court. So movement around the park is easy. We do, however, wish to advise that you may need to assist your children if they wish to engage with some of the activities. As always, we suggest that you contact the service provider directly to ensure that your specific needs can be met. You can find Bugs Play Park on the Accessible South Africa website, www.accessiblesouthafrica.co.za under the Activities tab. There you'll find photos, a video, a map, and you'll be able to contact them directly so that you can make a booking or contact them about your needs. That's it from us for this time. You can find Accessible South Africa on the web at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za or on Facebook and Instagram at Accessible South Africa or on Twitter at Accessible SA. You can also email us at podcast at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za Editing by Deirdre Gower. Our theme music is by Louis Chichao based on a motif by Lois Strachan. Credits read by Andre de Toy, the big positive guy. Thanks for joining us on Accessible South Africa Travel Podcast. We'll see you next time. And until then, happy travels.